It's time for the letter of the day. This episode of My Seminary Life is brought to you by the letter Delta. Delta is for Democratia, the letter Delta. Welcome back to My Seminary Life. I'm your host, Brandon Knight, and this is the series finale to Ancient Greece. Throughout the past, oh, month and a half or so, we've been taking a short tour through Ancient Greece, looking at philosophy, ancient writings, Sparta, mythology, and Looking at it through this lens of better understanding what it is, how it affected the context of the New Testament, and how it affects our current context as well. This has been an enjoyable little series that we've been doing um, something different. You know, we haven't really done something where we're getting into different eras of history that affect our understanding of scripture and affect our current context as well. And uh, be looking forward to the future as we here on My Seminary Life where we'll be talking about other important eras, the the eras tour, as I have dubbed it on a recent blog post on the Buy Me a Coffee podcast. page go support the show over uh, uh with one of our monthly support tiers and you'll be able to get access to these kinds of posts the most recent one more thing dives into how there are certain eras that uh affect our understanding we call it biblical background knowing the historical context of scripture does assist us in the process of interpretation and so uh, we'll be we'll be doing more of these in the future, but today is going to be it for our walk through ancient Greece. If you want more, if you feel like there's just so much more Greece that you want flowing through your system, then don't forget there is a YouTube exclusive episode over on our YouTube channel. Uh, subscribe and enable notifications when you head on over there. You'll be able to catch our live stream exclusive YouTube episode. What is empiricism? Another uh, continuation of our conversation on philosophy. Get a little, get a little bit into Aristotle's philosophy. A little Saint Thomas Aquinas. A little John Locke. John Locke. Yeah, John Locke. And yeah, just a little bit more Greece running through your veins. Um, but today is it, and we're going to conclude our conversation of ancient Greece, talking about arguably the one topic of all of the topics we've di- we've dove into the past few weeks that very much directly affects our current context, and that is politics, because in many ways, uh, 
ancient Greece is the uh, proto. It's the beta test for what American democracy, American politics looks like now. Before we get into our political conversation today, though, I want to front load this first part of the episode with a culturally relevant conversation because it does feel a little strange to not address what is going on in the Middle East right now, especially with a show that tries to occasionally bring in very current conversations, very current events into the context of what's going on here on the show. So since last week's episode, a new war has broken out over in the Middle East between Israel and Hamas, This uh, between Israel and a group within Palestine. And I... It's, it's odd because I want to be I want to speak to an important issue that is going on right now um, but I echo what a lot of people are echoing or a lot of wise people are echoing right now of by no means am I anywhere near a geopolitics expert however I do look back over the past few years the past three years to be precise since 2020 and um I look back over these past few years. I look at our study we've done through the uh, through the writings of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and for me at least, the conclusion I have to come to is: we need to value human life across the board. Uh, that might sound difficult, and that rubs against the grain of Americanness of American Christianity. I think. Many American Christians are going to unwaveringly, I, I shouldn't say I think, I know that many American Christians are going to unwaveringly um, say, I stand with Israel. Um, I just think that at this point in time, life is too complicated to just throw all your eggs in one basket. And rather than be sold out to some kind of political Christian-y propaganda that I think the wiser route, at least for me myself, I think the wiser route for us to take at this point in time is to watch my words or listen to my words here, pray for peace across the Middle East. I think a lot of times when we think about this concept of praying for peace, we think of it through this lens of praying specifically for peace in Israel, where my conviction has come of late that we should be valuing human life across the board. And so that looks like praying for peace across the Middle East. That means praying for the safety and protection of God's church, of Jesus's church around the world. Um, That looks like praying for God's justice across the board that looks like obviously there's probably more steps to this than just prayer but at this point in time a a week out from or it's been a week really since this all has broken out i i think the again just looking over the past three years the past few years since 2020 i really think we need more praying and listening rather than response 
rather than hot takes, rather than these are my two cents. And that goes for more than just when war breaks out that, I mean, I think, I think we would be much wiser to sit and reflect and to watch and pray and listen than to just jump right into, I stand with this. So we pray for peace, or I pray for peace across the Middle East, pray for protection for the church, for God's church in these places, pray for justice for those who have been wrong, for those who have been wronged. And we pray for this also for the war in Ukraine and Russia as well. Yeah, we pray for this worldwide, that the love of Jesus Christ may uh, flood this place, that peace may reign, that justice will come. Um and ultimately that the church will be maybe not ultimately, but I think we got to realize that the church isn't just wherever we side with the churches across the world. The, the kingdom of God is transcends war boundary lines. I mean, that was, if anything, that was one of the big secondary takeaways from our study of Bonhoeffer over the summer, right? Of, you know, even in the darkest place in 1940, you know, the church was still active. The kingdom of God was still working. So may that be an encouragement to all. May that be a challenge to some of you to let's maybe, let's maybe sit and pray and pray not just for Israel, but for everyone because human life matters. Black lives matter. Human life matters. We need to we need to be protecting human life. We need to be for human life and the continued life of people as well. So that's my uh, culturally relevant. It's a heavy way to start an episode, but also we're talking about politics. So let's just keep going. So it is often pointed to that ancient Greece is in a way proto-America. It's the democracy experiment the first time. And when I've initially have heard some of these things, I was kind of like, really? Is it, is it really like, um, is it really? Cause they have kings. <laughs> so one thing I guess we haven't really um, clarified is that ancient Greece at, at the height of its empire during the classical era, era is divided up into city-states. Um, you have like Athens, Sparta, I think Ithaca is another one. And each one of these basically functioned as its own government underneath a larger ruling body over all of ancient Greece. And in some city-states, you have like Sparta, for example, you had kings. You had, uh, actually, there was typically two kings that ruled in Sparta at a time, as opposed to Athens. Athens didn't have like a king thing going on, at least not leading up to the Peloponnesian War. Um, or as we have talked about before, some of you may recall who are longer time listeners that um, my family celebrates Hanukkah along with Christmas. And part of the Hanukkah story is, of course, Alexander the Great conquering uh, what would have been Persia and therefore also taking captive Judea, Jerusalem, 
and them setting up a co-regent king over the area, Antiochus, and uh, this king ruling over this whole region, of course, leads to the Maccabean revolt that leads to ultimately the creation of Hanukkah when Judah Maccabee takes back Jerusalem with his uh, merry band of militia misfits. Militia misfits. Um, I'll tuck that one away for later. So how then is ancient Greece in this like proto-democracy kind of state when we see kings and emperors, Caesars in the form of Alexander the Great? Like, how do we see this playing out as democracy when it really sounds like you know, authoritarian dictatorship, monarchy style rule. So the word democracy or democratia uh, is the, it's basically, you know, there's this idea of people rule. It's, it's people power. John Laurinaitis and WWE, like, 20 years ago or 10 years ago now people power it's people power it's the people are have a say have a influence in the government so it's a very interesting system especially in these ones where like like sparta who has who has kings that the people in the who live in the city state also have political sway that can determine certain outcomes looking specifically at sparta and at athens we do see ways that these city-states functioned politically that do speak to the um kind of how our government has our government system has been shaped in the present so although there were two kings who were essentially rivals within sparta at the same time how the government worked in Sparta is that this is where for our government, we get this concept of a check and balance and even like an early stages of a constitution. There is a check and balance within the system. It's not just two Kings and they can choose whether or not they're going to listen to all the people in their voting. There's also other systems set up within the government. Uh, there's two other authority powers there are groups one is basically an elder an elder led system where it's um the older uh wiser people in sparta gets to hold a position of power there's also kind of this like you get to uh, nominate people to be part of another governing body the people the people get to nominate another uh people the citizens get to nominate people to be a part of a governing body that also assists in making decisions really the kings their place in the government was maybe to make it simple foreign affairs that's that's really what they were there for it was these two other bodies the elderly folks of sparta and also this um people who were basically elected by the general population who to hold this other uh be a part of this other group of decision makers that got to 
pass laws that got to um, hold people accountable for keeping said laws and to also hold the Spartan kings to obeying the law as well. There was some type of like, um, there was some type of like uh, court that the kings could be taken to to determine whether or not they were following the laws and doing good for the nation of Sparta and could be, and if found guilty, could be sent, banished to exile for not following the Spartan laws. And if I remember correctly in my studies, it was something like, I'm going to throw very round numbers out there. So these are not facts, but this just to kind of set it up, it was something like of all of the Spartan Kings, like 95% of them were taken the trial and the majority of them were found guilty. Um, This was by general general vote of were these people being faithful to their um to their place within the government and oftentimes they were found not they were not found to be very uh fitting for their duties and if anything uh i think it's one of the kings who are thrown into exile are is one of the few times that we actually have written documents from sparta most of our greek written uh, material that has lasted throughout the centuries comes from Athens, not so much from Sparta. It was one of these Spartan kings who either he himself or like his indentured servant person, his slave, did the writing, uh, basically chronicling his life and being taken to court and all that. So we have this. So there's a lot of check and balances. There's you know the elder led people, the elder rule people. They had a specific thing they were in charge of. The kings had their own separate thing. The people who were elected to these places of power by the by the citizens, they uh, they had their own their own uh, area of the government they were in charge of. All the while, these two bodies were in charge of keeping the kings in line. So there's a lot of check and balances. Like I said, they kind of have like this early form of a constitution going on. The only thing, I shouldn't say the only thing, uh, one of the negatives within Sparta, though, one of the big negatives, and we talked about this a little bit during the 300 episode, is, of course, that um, Sparta was one of the highest... Uh, was one of the countries with the highest population of slaves. And in Sparta, if I remember correctly, it's only the male free people who own land can cast votes. Now, women could hold position of power within the Spartan government, and that's that's pretty progressive for their time period. But voting-wise, like to get people nominated onto the courts that was only held those votes were only given to free landowner citizens of sparta as opposed to athens while sparta has a lot of the early check and balances and constitution athens was running very much very purely off of people power people rule everybody whether you held whether you own land or not, had a vote. And they were voting for everything. There was, Athens was much more stripped down in their form of government. 
I think how Athens government ran is how a lot of us think our government works of my vote holds a lot of power. It actually doesn't, in my opinion. Our vote is cast into a pile of votes that might win our presidential candidate some electoral college votes that may then win them the election purely based off of popular vote or lack thereof. Whereas in Athens, it really was your vote as a citizen of, of Athens held a lot of power because when you casted your vote, it could lead to Socrates being executed, as we discussed in the philosophy episode. What was nice, though, is that you could also overturn your own ver- your own. Uh, vote. I saw that as well in my studies that just because you voted to have Socrates executed didn't mean that you couldn't call a new council the next day before he was executed to like do a new vote and you could then vote against it. Like there was there was a high voter value within Athens and it was available to all citizens, not just those who held who owned land, which was essential because the, um, which was important because the, how Athens um, financial situation was much different than how Sparta's worked. So for them to be able to, not everyone owns land and those who did basically were in charge of themselves, which was also nice. Uh, landowners did get a bit of a perk in being able to, um, make more money through commerce, but their vote was just as equal as the person who didn't own land. So you see a lot of like, I would say maybe voter equality might be uh, something you can point to within Athens that has eventually come to the United States voting system. But all of this is to say, if you have ever been skeptical, like I have been of the past, of how in the world did these people's system of government inspire ours, there actually is, particularly with Athens and Sparta, a very clear lineage that ends with our current government as well. And so... We are all so much more smarter. We are smarter. We are wiser now to know that Athens is our early form of government. And there's even some uh, Greek scholars out there, Greek being ancient Greek culture, not like the language. Um, But there are some Greek scholars out there who would even argue and have uh, ways to point to that our uh, founding fathers of America, they did see... Um, They did look to Athens and Sparta as their inspiration for how they initially drew up our form of people, people power, people rule, democracy within our system of government as well. Um, So as modern believers, what do we do with this whole government situation that we fall ourselves into? I think I've said this here before, but I will go ahead and just repeat myself as we start to wind down this episode that we need to, I do condemn Christian nationalism. I do believe it is a sin and is probably one of the biggest things 
that is damaging the American church right now. Being against Christian national nationalism looks like having a different attitude and mindset and actions towards America, towards the kingdom of God, towards political parties, towards blindly aligning ourselves with certain groups and certain nations because it's, quote, Christian to do certain things when really it's just American to do certain things. However, I think I see this sometimes in those who are trying to kick against the Christian nationalistic machine that the response looks more like I don't care about America anymore. I don't care about I don't care about my freedoms. I don't care about XYZ. All I care about is the gospel and the kingdom of God. And I do think that the greatest thing, of course, is the gospel and the kingdom of God. Those those things trump America. Pun intended. <laughs> Those things are greater than America. God is greater than America. America is not the is not God's answer for salvation. Jesus is. However, I think we still trying to weigh my words here. As always, don't forget, folks. I reserve the right to change my mind later. Um, but I still think that even for us as Christians who are trying to actively not play a role in Christian nationalism, we still need to care about the community and country that we live in. And I'm not saying, so we need to elect all the Christians to government authority, government roles. No, I don't think that's necessarily the best idea. And also, is not how our government is set up. That's We're not supposed to be the dominating religion of the country. That's not what we were setting out to do here in our Constitution. It wasn't even really the vision of the pilgrims. Um what we what i mean by we need to care about the community and care about our country is that we need to seek justice love mercy and walk humbly with with our god we can do those things in a way that brings glory to god and does not continue a christian nationalistic agenda but actually continues to build the kingdom of God and spread the gospel by caring about our communities. And sometimes caring about our communities, caring about our country is showing up to vote, to putting into office the person that you think or trying to vote for the person that you think is best suited for the role that will bring about the most good for your community. It looks like partnering with groups in the area that's looking to strengthen the community. This is part of one of the reasons why I'm excited for my new job starting up here soon, because I'm going to be working at the YMCA, which, yes, has roots within Christianity. I'm not going to deny that. But over time has become really a place just to provide a safe, healthy, character-building community for children, for children first and then everyone else. Um, 
and I get to do that within my own community. You know, it's here in my hometown or here in my the the town I'm living in right now. So I get to actively be a part of my community in a way that might not look like church ministry, but is still ministry. I am a Christian serving God after all. And I think, yeah, especially right now, as we head into a new election season and it, uh, I'm already, I will admit, I'm already rolling my eyes about a lot of the stuff that I'm seeing. We still have to value... I still think we need to value what we have to offer to our government, to our local community, to our country, through our voting, through our how our churches are ministering in our communities. You know, I, I really think, I forget now, I think it's Jeremiah. God told Jeremiah to tell the people it was either him or Daniel. I should have looked up this verse ahead of time and actually read it to you all. Apologies. But it was either Jeremiah or Daniel receives a word from God to encourage the people to, hey, you're in exile, but continue life. Continue living. You know, the kingdom of God is being built, has been built in Jesus and is spreading around this world. And depending on your end time views, you know, there's things that play into that later on or currently, depending on how you read the end time stuff. But we've been put in a, a place, a place and a time to live our lives, to build our, to build our communities, to serve one another outside of the walls of the church and to bring about the most good, bring about justice and peace. Like we talked about earlier uh, to live a life of humility that glorifies God in how we serve one another in our communities. And by communities, just to clarify, I'm not talking about our church groups. I'm, I am talking about the place that you call home, the place you reside right now. So that's, you know, that's my two cents on this. Again, it's a very, very raw, very political episode, but I, I really think, I think we would do better to pray for peace, to pray for justice, and in our communities and in our country to still, even as we continue to kick against Christian nationalism, those of us who are got our steel toe boots on and doing our best to do that, as we continue, I think we shouldn't get to the point where we just don't care anymore about our country and about our about our country and about our communities we still need to look for ways to love on those around us love our neighbors it is there it's there for a reason well i think that's it for today's episode thanks for hanging out with me and thanks for going on me uh, going with me on this journey throughout ancient Greece. We got uh, a couple fun episodes coming out the next couple weeks including here at the end of the month of Monsters and Luther. We're going to have a little bit more information about that here in next week's episode. And then of course in November we've got dialogue starting where in each episode I'm going to sit down with a different guest. Yes, right, folks. An entire series functioning like a normal podcast where there's going to be a guest on every episode. Each episode's going to have a different guest and a different 
topic, and we're going to address theological questions. We're going to dialogue through a couple of theological questions. We'll see how far we can get in each episode. And yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. Got a great bunch of people coming on to the show, a lot of regulars, uh, maybe some people you haven't heard from in a while as well. Should be a good series. They're all good series though, right? At least I think so. Then, of course, we'll be headed into December. We've got a whole string of fun episodes, fun one-off episodes throughout the month of December. And then next thing you know, it's 2024. We're almost there, folks. And it'll be time to start our 2024 series. And uh, don't worry, you'll find out more about that here in a couple months. If you haven't yet already, please rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. If you would like to f- support the show financially, you can check out our shop or you can head on over to buymeacoffee.com slash mslpod. Leave a one-time donation there or support the show monthly with one of our support tiers. Everyone who supports the show at $9 a month gets a shout out here on the show. So thank you, Lori, for supporting the show over the past few months. And uh, who's going to join her next? We'll see. We'll find out. But again, as always, you support the show. Buymeacoffee.com slash MSL pod. That is it for me. I'm going to go. I'm going to go prepare to be a ninja coach. Um, But until next time, this is Brandon signing off. Reminding you, as always, that theology is for everyone. So keep on studying.